1: This podcast is sponsored by Agapi Match. Agapi Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm Matchmaker Maria, a fourth-generation matchmaker. And each week I am joined by an awesome guest and together we answer your dating and relationship questions. Plus we'll have some fun along the way. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to Chrissy Rutherford. Chrissy is a fashion and social media expert with over 12 years experience in the industry. She was the special projects director at Harper's Bazaar Digital before leaving publishing in early 2020 in order to grow her personal brand and recently launched a diversity and inclusion consultancy for brands. Outside of fashion, Chrissy is a mental health advocate, music fanatic, and astrology lover who is always seeking the answers to life's bigger questions. We are definitely going to talk about that. Hey, Chrissy.
2: Hi, Maria. I always love talking to you. I love
1: talking to you too. Let's talk about how we met first. Yes.
2: I reached out to Maria, what was it, in like 2015? 2016, Yes, yes. Um, I was working on a story about how to be daring when it comes to dating. And I think that there was also like just a lot of talk in the air about matchmakers as I think, you know, dating apps have been around for a while and there was like a little bit, not like of a backlash, but I do think that For most of us who were like on it from the very beginning, then you started getting kind of tired of it. And it's like, okay, if you're really serious about finding a husband, like what are the other options? So I had also done like a roundup of like top matchmakers, which obviously Maria is at the top of the top. And uh, (laughs) yeah, and then we met. And we just immediately just started talking
1: about dating. You were there to interview me and I just started interviewing you. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. You're like, what's your your deal?
2: (laughs) Do you really want to get into that? I want to talk a little bit more about your journey today and you know where we find you. I know it's been a really interesting year, obviously for all of us, but even more so for me personally, because I left my job at Bazaar in February after having worked there for a little over eight and a half years, which is a really, it was a really big deal. And it was something that I had been, you know, wanting to do for a while, but was feeling very scared in many ways, of course, because my name was like so attached to this brand, but I felt very like suffocated by corporate America. I really wanted to do my own thing. And I remember feeling when I was leaving, like, I have no idea where my life is going to go because I didn't have a job lined up. I made a decision to take some time off, travel, like decompress. And you
1: didn't know there was a pandemic happening.
2: No, I was burnt out. And, um, yeah, I just kept saying like, I have no idea where my life is going to go, but I'm excited. And yeah, I and had I, no. I want to talk a little more about, Ooh. you know,
1: your association with Bazaar. So, you know, Bazaar is a, if not the top, one of the top fashion magazines in the world. Yes. And You know, you being an editor and then a special director of projects, you know, I mean, your Instagram is, I felt at some point was an extension of the magazine. If you follow, or if you've been following Chrissy on Instagram, her Instagram is Chrissy Ford. I remember showing your Instagram to my mom and she had the best summation of what your Instagram is like. You know, when you were in high school and your friends would come over and they would try all of your outfits and you would do a fashion show out of your closet. Right. Yeah. That's Chrissy Rutherford's Instagram channel. <laughs> oh is you watch your friend get unbox things that come <laughs> to her at work yep. and she gets to try on the new Gucci boots and the a Ralph Lauren trench coat and the Prada sunglasses and you're happy for her in the sense that like wow someone's trying on all these really cool products yeah and then you go home and all of a sudden it's like a whole nother experience where oh look at all these this really the fashion choices that you make I personally admire because it's fresh but it's also very daring thanks
2: you know, when people, like, ask me to describe my style, like, I never know what to say. I just, like, wear what feels right to me in that moment. But I, like I just feel like
1: you have this style that is very hard to replicate. And, you know, for instance, I constantly wear... I I wear dresses. I'm a dress person. And my style is what you find on the rack at the loft. And I'm sure there are thousands upon thousands of women who are wearing the same dresses as me. But then I see your outfits. Like even right now you're sitting across from me and you're wearing (laughs) a white blazer that's patterned. It's like a, it's like a silk shirt. Oh, is it a silk shirt? Like you wear certain outfits where I'm like, I've never seen someone wear this. And it's not, yeah. it's not that it's like so unique,
2: like runway unique. Right. It's, um, what is the word? Like bespoke. I think it's just often also like the way that I just happen to put things together. Like I do think that my approach to style is polished, but like at the same time, I don't think it feels unapproachable. Like I don't think people no. look at me and think like, oh my God, I could never wear that. Like that's not who I no, am. No,
1: if anything, it actually, I feel like it has the reverse. You know, I always say if you wear too much white, that can make you unapproachable because white just seems, it seems like it can get dirty easily. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you wear a lot of white clothing. You wear a yeah. lot of linen and I just want to be your friend. <laughs> I mean, I am your friend, but at the same time, like, I just want to talk to you right now. I want to, I want to be a part of whatever conversation you're, Part of because the way you wear it,
2: I don't. It's just it's so interesting. You have very the way you dress is very approachable. Thank you. I didn't know what what it is. I didn't know I was wearing but approachable. I didn't know I was coming on this podcast to get gassed up today. Ah. (laughs) I'm loving it.
1: Well, I have
2: some more personal
1: questions (laughs) to like lower the yeah
2: to bring. Okay, so so you you quit your job in February pre-pandemic USA. Yep, and then what? Uh, I went to Europe. I was planning to spend two months in London. I had a wedding in South Africa. So like got through that first half of it, came back to London. Things were like, you know, the news was definitely picking up. Went to Paris Fashion Week, even though my friend and I were sort of like, do we really do this considering what's going on? Still what did What was the mood when you were at Paris Fashion Week? People were talking about it. People were like concerned, but not too concerned. Did you, you see
1: wearing masks? no. You know, my sister and I, we went to a meeting in financial district, like actually at Wall Street on February 28th. And we saw a woman wearing a mask. My sister and I, we just kind of looked at each other, like rolled our eyes, like, oh my God, like, what is she doing? You know, she's wearing a mask with sunglasses. And you know, four months later, I look at people not wearing masks. Right, and you're like- And, and I'm like, what are you doing? And it's, it's shocking, you know? Yeah,
2: I had actually like, Already acclimated myself to the mask lifestyle like two years ago because I had gotten bronchitis flying home from Abu Dhabi and I had to travel again after that. I didn't know I had bronchitis at the time. I was like, oh, I just have a bad cough. But I bought a face mask because I just thought I don't really want, you know, I don't want to give it to anyone else. And, you know, I know they say, oh, it doesn't work. It does work, whatever. It's just better for everyone.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the whole point of a mask is that if you have something, you keep it to yourself.
2: Right. Okay. So you come back to America.
3: When did you
1: come back to America? March
2: 15th. I cut my my trip short by like five or six weeks. Life still felt very normal in London up until the day I left. And, but I came home because I thought, God forbid anything happened to my parents. I don't want to be stuck in on another continent. So I came home, went into my studio apartment and quarantined for the first five weeks, uh, by myself. And honestly, I loved it. I love being by myself. So I wasn't having any kind of feeling about it. Like, of course you at times, when you really like stop to think about the situation that we were in like when it was the most intense like yeah it is scary to feel like i'm alone of course because i had just come back from europe there were times where i was feeling very paranoid about whether i might be sick did i pick up something on the plane and i remember one day i cried because i was feeling so paranoid I probably had like a tickle in my throat. And I just thought like, if I get really sick, my mom can't even come to get me. Like I can't be around anyone. I'm just going to have to power through it. And, you know. This was very
1: tough for single people and people who live alone in the city during the pandemic. One of my girlfriends, Margarita, she was sick with COVID. And um, she had written something on Facebook about how when it got tough, she would leave her FaceTime open on her computer, facing her mm-hmm. for eight hours at a time, so her parents could watch her while she's sleeping, just in case she was alone. Oh, um, you know, her parents just live—you know—they only live fifteen minutes away. They can't come and help her. Right. This is very what a tough period. And then, of course, you know, add on the rest. So, so
2: then, so you then you left New York, right? Yeah. So I was very. Fortunate in that my lease was ending in April. And I'm just still so thankful to this day that that was the case because I had left my full time job. And, you know, part of my plan to make income was off my brand partnerships. And that was obviously kind of put on hold right at the start of the pandemic. Like, you know, all of these companies were very unsure of how they were going to make money. So I originally wanted to move into a bigger apartment, but then uh, I sort of got that in the form of a house in Westchester. I moved back to my childhood home with my parents. And now
1: you do closet fashion shows out of your (laughs) childhood closet. Yes. What's it like living with your parents as an adult versus when you are a
2: child? In many ways, it's the same. My parents cook and clean up after me, ask me to do the dishes and I still won't do them. But it is very interesting because now I'm, I'm 34 years old. I haven't lived at home for 10 years. I've grown up so much. I'm in therapy. That Coming back with just like this perspective and like understanding communication patterns and just all the sort of familial patterns that play out and you start to see like, oh, this happens because of this. And this is why I'm like that. And you just like start. I
1: mean, I feel it. like when you go and live with your parents as an adult, you start seeing your parents as adults and not these divine beings called your parents. Right. 100%. You know, I think as a child, sometimes you look at a parent and you're like, you know, it's hard to see your parent do wrong. Right. Then when you live them, it's like, oh, well, no, no, you're, you're just as human as I am. And yeah. uh, you make decisions based on your own experiences. And, I
2: think you know. I still do lean on my parents a bit too much for validation. You know, like I have a pretty close relationship with my parents. Like I tell them pretty much everything. So, Do you have any siblings? I do. I have two older brothers who are technically half brothers. So both of my parents had a son from a previous relationship okay. and they met had me. So I'm the baby. My brothers are 11 and 12 years older than me. Uh, one still lives locally. The other one's in Hong Kong. You know, and the way they raised me is much different than the way they've raised my brothers. (laughs) Yeah, I am pretty close to my parents. I'm used to like sort of keeping them in the loop. But it's interesting because it doesn't matter the fact that I lived on my own for 10 years. I had a really successful career. They still sort of treat me like I'm a child who doesn't know any better (laughs) at the end of the day. That must be frustrating. Yeah, it is. But like, you know, every time my parents like say something that's sort of frustrating to me. I'm like, take a deep breath, count to three. That is a very good coping strategy.
1: I I also live with my parents. I mean, I don't live with my parents in the sense like, uh, in the way you do. I, um, last year, my mother had some health issues and my husband and I, we made the decision. I don't know maybe it's a Greek culture thing, but you know, it's like, okay, my mom and my dad need to live with us because you know, I want to have more control over her health and the situation. Luckily, you know, it's funny upon moving here, Her health just started getting like you know a lot better. Like knock on wood, it's it's definitely been improving. You know with the extra help, but you know you also see your parents, and in my case, I see them as grandparents too to my children. You know sometimes stress happens, but for sure sometimes I just ask when things are about to boil. I'm like, is this even worth it? (laughs) Like what are we about to? And I'll just be, I'll just even call like, why are you getting mad? Like, 100%. why are you getting mad? And then I notice things that my parents do when they get mad that I never noticed as a kid. Like mm-hmm. when my mom wants to make a point, she just gets louder.
2: Oh my God. My parents, It doesn't matter
1: if she's right or wrong. She's just getting louder.
2: The voice just escalates so quickly and... Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like,
1: are you trying to get loud to get dad involved? Like what's going on here? Cause I get loud too, but I get loud just to make sure you can hear me. I'm not trying to get my husband involved. I feel what you're experiencing. How's yeah. dating while
2: living at home? I'm not dating. Not even because I'm at home, but I do think that also presents an interesting challenge because I'm living in the suburbs where there's just families. But also because, I don't know, we're in a pandemic and, well, I know this is sort of counterintuitive to everything you say, but, you know, we all have to make decisions for ourselves. And obviously I've been going through a really big transition in my life the last couple of months and like figuring out sort of where my life purpose lies and which way I'm charting forward after leaving this job that was such a big part of my life. So I just haven't really wanted to get involved with anyone at this stage of my life. Like I feel like I really need to be focused on what I'm doing.
1: So that happens to a lot of people like, okay, right now I'm in a moment of transition. I need to concentrate my career. Do you feel a pressure from society that like, no, no, you need to be dating?
2: No. That's good. Peer pressure is not something that has ever worked on me. I need to do things because I want to do it. And the more that people want me to do something, the less I want to do it.
1: That's great that you can recognize your limits. That's amazing. Okay, so in your bio, you you mentioned you're
2: an astrology lover. I am. I am. Tell me more about that. I have been obsessed with astrology literally since I was, uh, since I probably started reading magazines, you know, as a teenager and like was reading the horoscope. What magazines did you read as a kid? Started off with 17, YM. YM. Then I was definitely reading... Vogue, Bizarre, L. My dad would always bring magazines home for me. So it probably started with the horoscope pages. I'm a Pisces, and Pisces are usually very interested in astrology and all sorts of occult studies. It's been really interesting, actually, because my oldest brother has a 12 year old daughter, and she's also a Pisces. I have had very little influence in this, but she has been showing signs of her interest in this, I would say, for at least like two years. Like, she has a crazy crystal collection. Like, I wasn't even into crystals until like. I think when I was 12, I collected (laughs) pogs. Like, maybe six years ago, I started getting into crystals. It's amazing to see it. I love it. And my brother is very, like, anti astrology, doesn't believe in it. So I'm like, don't you worry because I am going to help her cultivate this interest.
1: You know, unlike like your brother. I'm a bit of a skeptic. I don't know if that yeah. means I'm a Sagittarius, but, <laughs> but I'm a skeptic. But, you know, I feel like there is something to say about, I think sometimes when I read horoscopes, it's a bit of a guide for people. And if it gives someone some guidance and relief, it's fine, I guess. I think where... I tend to raise my eyebrow a lot is when I have matchmaking colleagues who will Ask me sometimes for matches. They'll say, Hey, do you know anyone who's a black woman who lives in Westchester <laughs> between the ages of 30 and 40? Right. Yeah. And I'll be like, Yeah, of course. I, I know Chrissy. And then they'll say, like, okay, now what what sign is she? And I'm like, what? Like, no, no, we're not, we're not playing this game now too. You know, like I'm not, I don't do the sign matching at work. I've I've had a few clients ask me that as well. Yeah. Like, do you do match sign matches? And I'm like, No. I have one client who has told me, like, please don't set me up with any He's not a client. He wanted to be a common client. He was like, I would like to hire you, but I don't want you to set me up with Scorpios because my ex-wife was a Scorpio. And I was just like, I will not set you up with your ex-wife.
2: Scorpios are
1: intense. I don't know what any of this stuff means. <laughs> so I just always get like, I'm just very like, I know my sign. You're a Sagittarius? I, don't know, I don't know what it means though. Oh, yeah, I am a Sagittarius. Interesting. That's my sun sign. Uh, Is that right? right. Yeah. Well, how many signs do I have?
2: In a birth chart, which, okay, so let me start- What is a birth chart? You're saying words that I don't know. (laughs) I know. So so what I always say is I think that astrology has gotten a really bad rep because of horoscopes. Because people think that astrology is just about like predicting the future. You're going to meet the love of your life or you're going to win the lottery or whatever. Horoscopes are really to serve as inspiration. And the thing is that even if you read a Sagittarius horoscope, it's not always going to apply to you. What people need to understand is you read it and if it if there's something to take away from it for you, then that's great. If it's not, that's just how it is. Um, and that's why you're also supposed to read your rising sign as well when you read horoscopes. So what chart, is a
1: rising sign? A birth chart. You have to start defining these things
2: for me. <laughs> so a birth chart is you need your time of birth, date of birth, location of birth. And it basically maps out all the placements of all 12 planets the moment you were born. Hopefully, you know your exact time of birth. Wait, we have 12 planets? Yes, because the sun and the moon are also planets. So the placements all come together to help tell the story of who you are as a person. And I had my birth chart read for the first time about six years ago. It made me cry. Wow. Why? It really was so self-affirming and like so many, I think mostly because some of the parts of me that I perceive to be harder to deal with, or I perceive as like personal struggles, like all of it was sort of explained within this birth chart. I really wish that I had asked you for all of your info so I could have done your chart for this podcast because then I think you would be a believer, but I'm going to do it for but you. Then people will know, we could do this in
1: private just because I don't want people to know my birthday and my <laughs> birthplace because then they'll, they'll they'll be able to hack into my bank account.
2: Well, no, you would only, you would only tell me and I would have looked it up for you. And then I just would have read you something. I, I will that.
1: say something. I don't know what yeah. apps you use, but I remember a friend of mine uses this app called Pattern. The Pattern,
2: yeah. Do you use the Pattern? I sure do.
1: That app almost makes me a believer. So I yeah. downloaded the Pattern. It's a free app if you, anyone wants to use it. It's a very interesting app. I actually put in, I mean, my husband, but that's no fun. Like, I know I'm good with my husband. I don't need to read it. Like, whatever. My my husband and I were a good match, but I did put in um, like a couple of ex-boyfriends to see like, let's see what this says. And I didn't say they were ex-boyfriends. I put them down as spouses just to see like, and you know what? All of the problems and what ultimately broke us up Like, that app, like, laid it out. It was like, oh, this person has these sorts of
2: tendencies, and I'm just like, how does this app know? Because it's a birth chart app, but it it removes all of the astrology from it, which I think is a good thing for people who are maybe non-believers. You know, I wish that it was part of it, but I can still understand and, you know, like, read between the lines. Mm -hmm. But that app is the real deal. And so basically it takes your birth chart, but it frames everything as patterns for you. So, you know, your son is in Sagittarius and that causes you to be this kind of way. And this is your pattern. This is how you approach the world.
1: One thing I also um, particularly enjoy about this app, and I don't use it anymore, but I did use it for a month just to test it out, was that every every day it would give me a new guide like be more open to new ideas. And I'm I'm like, okay, I will be more open to new ideas, pattern app. You got it. You know?
2: Oh, oh, for the pattern. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Like it
1: would, it would give like these kind of like affirmations. Sometimes I feel like that's what astrology is also. It's just affirmations being spoken to you based on, I don't know, even if they're out of a bucket, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, these are really good positive affirmations to have.
2: Absolutely. Um, And if you know where to go and you know where to find the good stuff, then yeah, I think it really serves as inspiration. And what I do also love about astrology as well is, again, for those parts of us that feel more difficult or your perceived like weaknesses are really reframed in a way that's like, okay, you need to learn from this and that becomes your strength. I hate the words
1: uh, like weaknesses in general, right. like even, um, we do coaching intensive. So the, for the women who do this, they know what I'm about to say, but when we do like personality testing and all that stuff, sometimes things are framed as strength and weaknesses. Like if you're going to a job interview, they'll ask you what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I hate the weaknesses because it's, you're basically asking someone, what are your limits? And right. then if you know what your limits are and there are, there's amazing tests like Colby K O L B E. I love that personality tests for employment because it teaches you what your limits are. And this way you can't, it's hard to judge someone if you already know these limits. So for instance, you know, one of my employees has a very, is limited in taking initiative, but she's so good at process oriented tasks. So when it comes down to like giving her her yearly, her annual review in her annual review, I'm not going to judge her on how often did she take initiative? That's just not something that she does. And I know that ahead of time. Right. But I have other employees who all they know is to take initiative. Right. God forbid I try to teach them our, you know, how to use a Slack channel. It's like, no, I can't. I can't do this. I can't adopt new technology. So, you know, it's good to know these things. So I, I think that's really cool. I will say as much of a skeptic as I am, I will admit that astrology did influence me on certain behaviors that I adopted right before I met my husband.
2: You need to hear this.
1: So about six months before, I'm sitting at Stone Street outside, you know, where the, all the nice little Irish bars are downtown. Yep. I was with a girlfriend of mine. She was saying, you know, what, when, what, how old are you now? How old are you turning? I'm like, oh, I turned 28 at the end of the year. She goes, you're entering Saturn's return. And I'm like, what is that? And she explained to me that Saturn's return is essentially, you know, when you're born, there's a place that Saturn is, you know, in the galaxy. It takes 28 years for Saturn to be right back where it was when you were born. Your so that's supposed to be a year of growth or it's supposed to be two years of growth or something.
2: So it kind of forces you into a transformation in whatever, you know, part of your chart Saturn fell Yeah, in your
1: birth chart. So when she said that to me, one of my, I had just gone out of a stupid breakup. Mm -hmm. I was going on a lot of first dates with men who just were not interested in pursuing a serious relationship. Right. And I said, okay, I have six months until my birthday. I have six months to get it out of my system. Like whatever, you know, regrets or, you know, whatever, whatever I want to get out of this, just do it now. And then mine did. And then when I turned 28, the day I turned 28, I wrote down, okay, this is who I want universe. If this is my transformation, this is what I want. I wrote down that manifest. That's very popular on Instagram that people keep copying. (laughs) I keep, people keep sending me the manifest anyway. And, um, nine days later, the man of my dreams (laughs) was right in front of me and he was exactly what I was looking for. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is Saturn's return. This was what I was supposed to receive, I suppose. But that's how it worked for me. And I'm sure there's other opportunities in astrology that have similar stuff like Saturn's return. I will admit though that that did have a massive influence on me.
2: It's usually a point of pain for people, but I love that it brought you joy and a husband.
1: (laughs) I didn't realize it'd be a point of pain. I do want to add a few things about this. So people tend to turn to astrology in times of stress and a small 1982 study by the psychologist. Graham Tyson found that people who consult astrologers did so in response to stressors in their lives, particularly stress linked to the individual's social roles and to his or her relationships. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, since 2014, millennials are the most stressed generation and millennials and Gen Xers have significantly more stress than the older generations 2012. 2012. Something like 63 percent of Americans in 2017 said that they were significantly more stressed about their country's future in the United States. I mm. cannot imagine what that number is like now. If 63 nope. percent was in 2017, but uh, when I read this uh, about how astrology is adopted during times of stress, you know, I thought about you know I'm a millennial, and so are you. We're at the yeah. you know we're in the the mid 80s, and think about what we've experienced in our lifetime. Like I was just graduating high school when 9 11 happened. I had just graduated or I had just entered my master's program. I had just graduated undergrad when the financial crisis happened. And I just had my second kid when the pandemic hit. (laughs) I feel like every time something like the next chapter of my life is about to start, something something is like holding me back or creating a stress. And, and, you know, I can see where you would adopt these things. And in fact, websites are admitting like even the cut says that their website traffic to horoscopes and astrology has increased something like tenfold.
2: Astrology is a belief system. So just like religion is. And I think people, you know, pick and choose what works for them, what brings them hope and, you know, trust in, helps them see like the good in things or believe that something good is going to happen to them. So I think that's why, you know, astrology is really popular.
1: Let's answer some dating questions. What do you think? Yes. Let's start with this one first.
3: Hi, Maria. My name is Kathleen. I'm 30. I live right outside of Washington, D.C., and I have a quick question for you. I've been listening to your podcast and um, really enjoyed the first three episodes, and I have kind of a specific question. Um, so like I said, I live outside D.C. in a one-bedroom apartment. My parents live about 20 minutes from me in a single-family home where there's lots of outdoor space, et cetera. I've spent the past few months quarantining at their house for a variety of reasons, but the main one is that I'm incredibly extroverted, and being alone and not going into the office has been quite hard on me. Anyways, I find that when I mention that I'm living, temporarily living with my parents in a dating app conversation that I'm having, it's a turnoff for men. Um, so my question for you was, should I just suck it up and move back into my apartment to avoid that? refrain from mentioning that I'm living with my parents temporarily until I'm actually on a date. Um, Any advice that you have would be great. Thanks so much. What do you think, Chrissy? It's so funny, the connotation that like living with your
2: parents or moving back home has, you know, like even when I first moved back, I sort of like felt a little bit of like, oh, people are going to think this is weird and whatever. Like it's a pandemic, people. Like, oh, we're not alone. So many people have moved in with their parents. And I just think that that's just so weird that like someone would even think that was weird. Like that that was
1: my initial thought. So 40%, according to the New York times, 40% of Manhattanites have left the city either temporarily or permanently. And I think it's for the reason you know, it's other than obviously, you know, being cramped up in an apartment, it can be really tough psychologically. But also, you know, living alone is really tough going through this unprecedented time. It's not I understand her, I get it, especially when she mentioned that she's an extrovert. I totally right. understand. You know, and I think that's how she should lead into it. And even if a guy is not into that, I think that says more about them than it says about her. Like percent. If he is someone who is family oriented, who can rel- who can rely on his family in bad times, he is not going to have a problem with you living with your parents. In fact, quite the opposite, I think he would value that in you completely. And, and sometimes I hear about like prior to pandemic when people say I don't want to date someone who's lived with their parents. I could understand that because if you're over the age of 28, and you have a job, and you live with your parents, to me, it's like, okay, what's going on? Why is there a rest development that you haven't left yet? <laughs> but at this moment in time, where there is massive unemployment, where there is a pandemic happening, and you know people, we're still unsure of what our week-to-week is gonna look like. It's so hard to plan, a, plan ahead. You can't even plan a month ahead. There is a benefit of living at home. It's harder if you've been independent before to go back, as I'm sure you, I mean, you just told us that. Yes. But um, it's not the same. And if a guy that you're talking to can't recognize the difference, then you don't want to be with someone who's that stupid to begin with, but also someone who doesn't value the fact that you can rely on your family during moments of difficulty.
2: What better time to be with your family? Like there's a pandemic, people are losing family members, you know, left and right. Like it's right. such a nice time to actually be with your family. Also, she lives twenty minutes away, so it's not like she doesn't even have a place of her own. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like no, this I, is all I, so I got. my childhood bed is all I have. <laughs> yeah, I would
1: not move out. I would say, you know, in in these cases, I would say I don't think it's a problem with you telling men, but you don't have to tell them. I think there's a time and place to say certain things. So I don't think people need to know right away what your living situation is, because that's not something that people tend to talk about even prior to pandemic. So um, maybe on your second Zoom date, or even on your first towards the end, you could start saying stuff like, oh yeah, you know, as you can see, I'm really extroverted. You know, this was really tough for me in the beginning. So, you know, my parents, I'm really family oriented. My parents, I really value them and... You no, know, I'm staying here right now until things can get back to a little normal and I can be back alone again. That's it. That's all you have to say. It's how you sell it. Absolutely. All right, let's go to our next question.
3: Hi, Maria. My name is Zoe and I'm 29 years old. I'm about to go on my very first virtual first date. I'm excited and only a little nervous, but I'm really stressing about one crucial detail. How does one end a Zoom date? In person, there are always organic benchmarks. We finish dinner, the waitress comes over, he walks me to the subway stop. But on Zoom, those aren't built in. I think my anxious avoidance self needs a little game plan. Having an exit strategy will help me feel calmer and allow me to focus on the most important part, meeting him and deciding if I want to go on a second date. Any suggestions besides pretending my internet goes out? Just kidding. Thanks for your help. I love how
1: animated she was.
2: I know. Also a great question.
1: Great question. I've had a lot of clients do Zoom dates. I've had so many. I've, I've, I've actually set up three Zoom dates for this weekend.
2: I mean, I have friends that have been doing it. Um, I also have a friend, Serena Kerrigan, who started an Instagram live blind dating show. What What's her name again? Serena Kerrigan.
1: Serena Kerrigan. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to check
2: that out. You definitely have to check that out. It's really, really entertaining. Like she is legitimately looking for a boyfriend, but it was also a show.
1: It's really weird to think about the end when you haven't even had the beginning. Sometimes these things organically close on their own as you start talking like, oh, the phone's ringing. Oh, I have to take this. Like he might already have a game plan of how it's ending that you're not aware of. So what I would say to um, avoid the marathon Zoom date, (laughs) because those are a thing. I don't think Zoom dates should be more than 90 minutes. If you are having such a great time, just plan one for the next day. Like, end it. But the way to end it is not to say in the beginning, Hey, I have to be somewhere in 90 minutes. Think about if you were at a wine bar and you said to someone just as you met them, Hey, so happy to meet you. Just so you know, I have to leave in an hour and a half to go to some other event. You immediately start the date in like this negative way. Anytime I've had a client do that to a date, it's always not gone well because you've already put the expectation that it's going to end in 90 minutes. So instead, what I would tell you is if you are Zoom dating, start the date, just organically do not think about the end, but then an hour in, if you think it's going well, or even if you think it's not going well, this is your time to set the expectation of when you need to get off. Now, if it's not going well, you'll both probably notice and you'll probably end it way before the one hour mark. It just (laughs) happens organically will come off. But in this case, once you're an hour in, what you're going to say is, Hey, I'm having such a good time with you. Just so you know, I have to leave in 30 minutes. So just let's keep, keep talking. But in 30 minutes, I got to go. And you'll laugh and that's it. That's the end. And then when, you know, 30 minutes is up, you'll, you'll be like, Oh, Hey, I got to go, you know, and you'll figure out some time in those 30 minutes, because you've told him, especially as a woman, I have to go in 30 minutes. If he's enjoying himself, he's going to ask you, when are we doing this again? Or even if he doesn't, maybe he'll text you. When does it happen? Like you're you're kind of ending it on your end, but it's not starting. You're not starting off the date on a negative note. In between, you're saying, you're just saying, listen, this is going to end in 30 minutes. But again, you might not even have to say this. That's why I say wait an hour because it might organically close on its own or he might have something happening in 45 minutes or an hour and he'll tell you it's ending. So I wouldn't start off by thinking about the end. Just start on, hey, do I even like this person for it to for when it should end we have a few text questions let's see here is the is it a red flag if a man is 50 and he doesn't have kids or never married this is from anonymous i don't know is it a red flag kind of as a matchmaker i tend to ask a little bit more about what commitments they've had prior to like if you've been engaged or if you've been in a very long-term relationship Then it's like, all right, that's, that's good. But if someone tells me when they're 50, I've never been in a relationship that's lasted for more than six months. To me, that is a red flag. That's a red flag if you're 40. Right. Not having kids is not a red flag to me. I agree. There are many people who choose that lifestyle and good for them. Another anonymous question. When is it too soon or too late (laughs) to get engaged?
2: Do you have any opinions on this? I mean, look at me. I'm 34 and I'm still single and still kicking. Everyone needs to figure out what's right for them. But I do think that in general, I think we've all been brainwashed to believe that like our lives are supposed to follow a certain cadence. Like we go Mm -hmm. to high school, we go to college, we meet a guy in college, then two years out, we need to be engaged and then buying a house and having a baby and doing all of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that gets a lot of people into some really sticky situations. most
1: people don't fit into
2: that mold that you just described. Right. But I do think that that's still what we're we're told is like supposed to happen. But of course now, right? Now I think you're a millennial; like you know that that's not really how it goes. I think for the purpose of this question, I
1: think they're asking like into the relationship: when is it too soon to get engaged, and when's too late? And I'll actually, I, I'd love to answer this. I think it's too soon to get engaged if it's less than six months. I also think that there is a such thing as too late to get engaged as well. So if you've been dating someone for a really long time, not everyone, please do not at me at this. I, I don't care. But, <laughs> but there their studies have shown that, you know, couples who either get married too quickly or they get engaged and married l- way later, like they've been dating for seven years before Someone finally proposed, and then they got married. Both of those relationships uh, do have a higher rate of divorce. Absolutely. So you know, do what you will with with both of these numbers. I don't know necessarily if we can talk about too late, but it's too soon to get engaged before six months. I would tell you though. If possible, wait two years before you get married to someone. It will just increase your chances of success, relationship success. The reason why I say six months, in case anyone is wondering, is because people tend to experience lust love, eros love, in the beginning of when you meet someone, and that tends to fade out between month four and month seven. So this way, you're not getting engaged to someone that you are having (laughs) crazy sex and lust feelings with. You know, you've already plateaued a little bit on the the passion, and now the intimacy has dropped in, and that is actually what marriage is. Marriage is a choice of intimacy with one person.
2: And do you think that changes with how old the people actually are? Right? Like, at, what do you mean? When is too early or too late to get engaged, or more too early? Because I feel like for people say 30 and up like you get to a certain point where you I think have a better understanding of like what you're actually looking for mm-hmm. and when you meet that person less likely to like drag it out to two years like I had a friend that got engaged in her early 30s like I don't know, maybe like nine to ten months in mm-hmm. how long I before she got married I think she got married
1: about a year later so she hit two years she's basically two months shy of two years. Right. Right. Like two years is not a really long time to drag out. Right. I mean, I can understand if you're a woman who's 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, who wants to have kids right away. Right. But, um, at the same time, I, if you are choosing to have a child with someone else, think about, you know, I certainly don't want you to get divorced after two years. I want, I want this to be a lifetime relationship for you. And, and I want you to be happy. I I want to, you, you did mention something interesting that you said, like when, you know, when is it too early? And I will say, I have noticed that, especially in the new generations, I think it's better when people get into serious relationships after the age of 27 or getting married after 27. It just seems like, especially men, that's when they find whatever perceived self-actualization they need to achieve so that they're not dragging their, you know, they're not projecting their insecurities on not only people, but their spouse. So I get very nervous when I meet people that have just met someone at the age of 24 and they're getting, you know, they're getting married the following year. It's like, well, why don't you just wait a couple of years? Wait, wait two years. Right. What's the rush?
2: I completely agree. And I have heard of couples who have like dated for 10 years and then got married and then divorced within one year. But
1: that's what I'm saying. Like studies have shown that when, the, when someone dates that long and, and the next milestone hasn't been hit. And by the way, marriage is not for everyone. You could just date oh. someone. That's okay. Why do you need to get engaged? You know, right. if that's been working for you, I can probably tell you that the reason why they're, they might've gone divorced was because they took that next step. Right. I have another audio question. Hi, Maria. My name's Jen, and I'm 32 years old, and I have a question for you. My question is how to move yourself out of the friend zone and into the dating game. Over the years, I've had numerous guy friends list qualities and attributes of women that they want, all which seem to align with exactly who I am, but yet I can't seem to get them to move me out of the friend zone. Have you ever been friend zone, Chrissy? No. Why not? Why not?
2: Because I think that any guy that was actually interested in me showed interest in me from the get-go. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, oh, let's pretend to be friends. Guys don't operate like that. We know this.
1: Exactly. And this is what, um, uh, that's why I'm asking you this. Because I think when, it's very interesting when women say that they're being friend-zoned. When women say that to me, I think to myself, you're not being friend-zoned. You've just, you have a crush on a friend. Right. There was once a guy that I really liked I remember, I met him through a friend. I don't want to say he friend zoned me, but I had a crush on him. I was crushing hard and he was just not there. He was just not taking the next step. And it was not, it was not about me changing anything. He just didn't like me. So sometimes when I hear women say I'm being friend zoned, I think to myself, I think you need to establish crushes on people that actually like you too. You're, you're liking the wrong people. And I don't know, I don't know that much. I don't know anything about the woman who just called in that question, but it sounds like you have, fr- you have crushes on friends. Stop having crushes on your friends. If he liked you, he would make it known right away.
2: Absolutely. Men are that,
1: men are that symbol. <laughs> now in terms of men, I want to I reverse this. In terms of men getting friend zoned, that is such a thing. Absolutely. How can I help a man not get friend zoned? I think when a woman friend zones a man, it's just because she has her eyes already on someone else. It's not about him. It's just her. Either she's, she's not into you or she's already into someone else. I don't know if she'll change her mind either.
2: I know. I feel like it's only in rom-coms where suddenly the girl's like, oh, "And he was right in front of my eyes this whole time." No,
1: yeah. Women women don't operate like that either. <laughs> I know men that I have friend-zoned and I can't even recall I can tell you exactly why I friend-zoned all of them. I was just not into them. Yeah, I think like there was nothing that they could do to change my mind.
2: I'm just trying to think like, I think that there's been situations where I was having a friendship with a guy and then realized that I was into them, but I would say it happened very early on. Not like, oh, we were friends for five years. Oh and no, suddenly, yeah. Like right in the beginning. Suddenly like them. I would say like within like the first six months or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Someone's asking, how would you go about saying, I don't want to move in with you before we are engaged to a partner? Ooh, this is one of the things that I constantly say on Instagram. If people get mad at me, people will DM me saying, well, I got, I moved in before I got engaged. And I'm like, okay, you're the exception. <laughs>
2: If I desired to get married, then you better believe I want a ring on my finger before we're moving in together.
1: Yes, exactly. I have the same philosophy. I don't think you should move in with your boyfriend until there's a ring on your finger. And when people ask me, well, why do you think that? I always say it's it's very simple. A ring is a milestone to the future that you want to have in the next three years. I don't want you choosing the potential father of your child with the same criteria that you would choose a Craigslist roommate. Just because you want to save on rent.
2: That's what I was going to say. Like in New York, I get that it's hard because real estate, it's expensive. We know.
1: Well, and then that's my answer is, um, so as you know, how do you say to someone, I don't want to move in with you until we're engaged. You say, listen, I don't want to limit the success of this relationship to the same criteria that I would have with, for a Craigslist roommate. Boom. You know, and you could say that, you say, I, I don't want to move in with you until we're engaged. The end. If you feel like this is the person you plan to spend your life with, you should already be comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations. And it should not feel uncomfortable at all to say to someone, I don't want to move in with you until we're engaged. That's it. You said it. you You know, you said it. That's it. You're done. I
2: think that's a completely reasonable desire.
1: Well, I think we covered a lot of questions today. Chrissy,
2: where can people find you? You can find me at Chrissy Ford on all social media platforms.
1: I love it. You should definitely follow her on Instagram. If you um, (laughs) enjoy watching fashion snippets throughout the day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is my main platform.
1: Chrissy, thank you so much again for, uh, for being a part of this and thank you dear listener for helping Ask a Matchmaker grow. Right now we're currently a top 20 podcast in relationships in over 10 countries. If you love what you heard, I would love to hear from you and you can rate and review on Apple podcasts. And of course, tell a friend. I know each of us has that friend going through things. Tell them to come here. If you have any dating or relationship questions you'd like to share, email askamatchmakerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow my Instagram, Matchmaker Maria, where I share more dating and relationship tips. If you're sending me a DM for dating advice, I'm warning you now, I screenshot. You can also take this conversation to our Facebook group. All you have to do is search for Agape Matchsticks and uh, you'll be in a group where we talk about things. Until then, see you next week.